the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And I'm here to tell you today that the blame game is always a lame game. It's an excuse. All it does is lead you astray. And so if temptation is not coming from God, if we can't look to Him, where do we look? Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Do you ever wonder what it would have been like to walk and talk with Jesus face to face? What you would have done and what your takeaway would have been if, if you would have been one of the disciples or those that was around Jesus all the time. Fortunately, we have the Bible, God's Word, and, and we get to see some eyewitness accounts. And few of those are any greater than that of the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, James. As we read the book of James, we see one who, after the resurrection of Jesus, devoted his life to him. He saw who Jesus was and what Jesus did, and it changed everything. And so the message of this little book, James, is just that, that if you truly encounter the risen Christ, it it changes you. There's a new you. You could call it a new normal. Some of us have lived through new normals. After 9-11, the world changed. There was a new norm. We've just gone through a worldwide pandemic, the first in any of our lifetimes, and now a new norm. Again, our nation is tuned in to the divide that's caused by racism, the evil that arises when we view people differently, failing to remember that we are all created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We would pray that as a result, there's a new norm. James is written to a group of scattered, we can relate to that, Christ followers, and he's telling them, hey, things are different now. There's a new norm. And he begins this little book, very practical instruction, dealing with two things that every person faces. Trials and temptations. He begins by talking about those trials, life's testing times. Whether it be from circumstances, poor health, difficulty, any of the challenges you face that cause you to feel overwhelmed. In verse 12, he sums up his challenge regarding life's testing times with these words. Blessed or happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God's promised to those who love him. So that's our challenge to withstand the test to make it through the test. And so last week I gave you three simple 
Because God's word really is simple. Our relationship with him is so basic, even a child can understand. I gave you three simple truths to help you deal with those testing, trying, tribulation times of life. Remember what they were? First, I said, you've got to rejoice. When you face a difficult time, you make a determination to rejoice. James says, count it all joy. Make a conscious decision. Do the math. Add it up and still say, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to find joy as I go forward. How do I do that? Sometimes we look at life's difficulties and we think, we don't know what to do. We're at a loss. God, we need you to make sense of this. We trust that you're not caught off guard, but we're caught off guard. So in James 1 and verse 5, he says this, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously. If your wisdom account is deficient, if it's insufficient, you cry out to God. And the Bible says that God will always answer that prayer generously. He'll always give you wisdom. So we rejoice and then we request. But after we request, we also have a responsibility. James said, hey, make sure that after you request God to give you wisdom that you don't doubt him. You go forward in faith. So we learn to apply those words from another book like James, very practical, Proverbs. In Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So I rejoice, I request, and then I relax. Why don't you do this right where you're sitting, whether at home or in one of our rooms? Why don't you just take a deep breath, and you relax. Life's testing time. But an interesting thing happens in the book of James. The same Greek word that is used and translated trials or testing times can be used and translated temptation. So now, after James 1 through 12, he shifts and moves from dealing with life's trials to dealing with life's temptations. And there's a subtle difference. God tests us. He tests us in order to develop us, to mature us. James calls it to perfect us. Not that we reach perfection, but we're growing in maturity. So we walk through life's difficult moments and they develop us spiritually. God tests us to develop us, but Satan tempts us to destroy us. He's not interested in making you better. He'd love to make you bitter. And that's why God's word says that the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. But God has come to give us life and to give us what? Abundant life, fulfilling life. So James moves into this setting where he helps us learn how to navigate not just life's testing times, but life's tempting times. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus warns us that temptation is a part of reality. In fact, remember when he taught us how to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. Temptation. So just think about this for a moment. What tempts you? What are the temptations that you're most likely to succumb to? What are those things that when you see them, when you 
experience them, when you feel these feelings, when you think this way, you're tempted to do wrong. A temptation is a solicitation to evil. What tempts you? Do you, do you have it? I, I'm giving you a few moments because I want you to think about it. Is, is it lust of the eyes? Is, is it the opposite sex? Is it the, the flesh? Is it just wanting more of anything, whether that's food or, or money? Is it power? What are the things that tempt you? And some of you are thinking, no, pastor, I'm pretty good today. I'm not tempted. I'm not talking about just today. I want you to think about those areas of your life where you're, where you're potentially capable of succumbing to temptation. Years ago, I heard this quote from Oswald Chambers, and I think it speaks so much to moments like these. He says, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. So I want you to think about where you're tempted. And and then let's do this. Let's pause. Let's pray. And let's ask God to protect us from these areas of temptation. Now, maybe you're here. You're not sure why you're here or why you're watching. But you don't really have a relationship with God. You've not really trusted him with your eternal security. And and today, as I talk about the reality of temptation, I, I pray that you will see your need for him. And the end result is that you will begin a relationship with the one that gives you the ability to overcome any temptation. So let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we've gathered in this place in your presence to worship you and to hear from you. So speak, God, giving us what we don't have, teaching us what we don't know, making us what we've not yet become, so that as we leave this place, as we walk away from this time of worship, that we will walk away different. For some, Lord, who are your children, that just means strengthened in our faith, able to fight temptation and and walk away in victory. For others, Lord, it means beginning a relationship with you. Understanding once and for all that sin need not lord over us. But that when we submit to you, when we make you the number one thing, the master of our life. That you govern us and you give us the ability to walk in victory. So Lord, I thank you for this. I pray that in the next few moments, my words would be your words. My thoughts would be your thoughts. And Lord, the same God that I serve as my strength and redeemer would be praised and embraced by all who hear. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's keep reading. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of God, perfect and true. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Let no one say it's a very straightforward, a very strong statement. It's like he's saying, don't you dare think for even a second that when you're tempted, that God's doing that. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. Why is that so important? Why would James the brother of Jesus, why would he speak about where temptation comes from? 
Could it be that he understood something we learn about in the first few pages of the Bible? Genesis chapter 3, as sin enters the world, we see Adam and Eve in the perfect Garden of Eden fall into sin, right? We call that the original sin, our great-grandparents. That's the gift they gave us in our spiritual DNA is this sinfulness. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? All of a sudden, they found themselves exposed before God. And God, who was walking and talking with them in fellowship, says, Hey! What's going on down there, guys? And do you remember what Adam said? Adam said, this woman you gave me, she made me do it. (laughs) Just a few verses earlier, when God created Eve, he had said, whoa, man, this is awesome. Now he's going, this woman you gave me, she made me sin. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And what did Eve do? story continues. God turns to Eve and she says, oh, that serpent that you created, that serpent made me sin. It's the blame game. That's the way we live our life, isn't it? We're always looking for some way to shift the blame, to make that it's not our fault. So this is how it works today. Maybe you find yourself in an inappropriate or unhealthy relationship and you say, well, that other person, he, he just, he got me into it, or, or she got me into it. it I couldn't help it. Or, or here's something real common today. Remember, we're talking about temptation that has led to sin. How often do we hear people say, well, that's just the way God made me. I can't help it. That's my orientation. Or, or maybe it's just my disposition God made me this way. I'm, I'm trying to do better. Or maybe it's just um, you don't understand my circumstances. Nobody could withstand temptation if they were going through what I'm going through. And all of that is the blame game. And I'm here to tell you today that the blame game is always a lame game. It's an excuse. All it does is lead you astray. And so if temptation is not coming from God, if we can't look to Him, where do we look? Why are we tempted? The Bible talks about three sources of temptation. First of all, it talks about the devil. Let me see your hand if you've heard of the devil. It's also referred to as Satan, the father of lies. His name was Lucifer. He's cast out of heaven because of his desire to be God, to stand in God's place. The Bible says he's roaming to and fro. He's after you and your mama. He wants to ruin your life. Remember, he's a stiller, a killer, and a destroyer. And the devil will do whatever it can to 
lead you in the path of sinfulness. But not only do we battle the devil, the Bible says we battle the systems of the world. The world systems that cause us to leave God out of things. The ultimate secularism, life without God. If the enemy, the devil, if Satan can see that you're living without God, he doesn't need to mess with you. He'll just leave you alone. He don't care if you come to church as long as you're not encountering God. He's not concerned about a weekly event that that may last an hour. He's concerned about a daily experience that lasts a lifetime. The world systems. And so you might want to look at your life and say, where have I divorced God from this segment of my life? Here's what happens. I can just speak from personal experience. I can be a Christian I can read my Bible, I can pray, I can even go to church. But if I keep compartments of my God, that, of my heart that are not submitted to God and under his control, if, if I've not allowed God to have total control, then the world steps in. And that's when I succumb to the third thing, the flesh. The flesh is that part of you that craves to be satisfied apart from God. And every one of us have that part in us. That's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7 and verse 23. He says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Can I translate that for you? He's saying, I I feel like I've got a battle within me. I, I know the right things to do, but I don't do those things. I find myself doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I want to do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had those experiences? That's the flesh. That part of you that gets you to try to fulfill those cravings, those desires apart from God. That's what James begins to address as he continues. Look at verse 14. But each person, say each person. You know what that means? Each person. (laughs) Everybody. So in the first part of James chapter 1, we learned that everybody faces life's testing times. And now we're learning that everybody faces life's tempting times. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed By his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I want to give you temptation's trail. What's the pathway that leads you in temptation? Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation. What, What is the trail that leads you? To temptation. It begins with desire. James said, don't say this is from God. No, this is coming from within you. Can I remind you of something today? You are your own worst enemy. There's nobody alive. Think of the person that you most conflict with. Think of the person that brings you the most heartache. Think of the person that is just difficult to love. And then remember this. Nobody can hurt you more than you. He says this desire within you 
That's where temptation begins. It's the desire, this solicitation to do evil. You may even want to do something good, but do it in a wrong way. Accomplish it outside of the will of God. So just think about things. So like eating, is eating a sin? No. But the Bible talks about something called gluttony that becomes a sin. Let's think of another one. I'm just telling you, I was up all throughout the night. I can't wait to get home. I'm going to take a Sunday afternoon nap. Is sleep a sin? No. But laziness is. If you're married, one of the joys of marriage is to experience what the Bible calls the marriage bed. That relationship between a husband and wife that's that's not just an emotional connection, but is a physical connection, a sexual relationship so important that we have one of the books of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, that details this in a pretty graphic way. Is sex a bad thing? No, it's not sin. But it can be when it is involved in fornication outside of marriage or adultery, expanding the bounds of marriage. See, desire in and of itself is not sin, just like temptation is not sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation. So I want you to go back to that list that you have of your tempting issues. And I want you to think about this. You can either feed or you starve your temptations. Those things you desire, you're either feeding them, you're giving them what they want, or you're starving them. You're saying, no, we're not going to do that. I hear you. Some of you are still saying, I just don't think I struggle that much. Yeah, you do. There's something. It may be different for you than it is for me or the person that you're closest to, but there's something. Something that could cause you to really mess up. How do you know that? Well, here's what I believe. I believe every one of us are capable of just about anything given the right circumstance, situation, and bad hair day. Think of the worst sin you can imagine. Maybe think of the person that has hurt you the most. Could you do that? Well, according to Scripture, you could. This is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen to this. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? I remember a time in my life, it's about 20 years ago now, I'd sinned, I'd hurt people that loved me, I'd dishonored the Lord, I'd repented and was on the path to restoration and healing, and I was talking to my good friend on the phone. I can remember where I was, the exact spot where I said, I don't understand how I messed up. I don't understand how I sinned in this way. I just would have never thought I'd have done that. That's not my heart. And then I heard a little bit of silence on the other end of the phone. And he said, yes, it is. And until you understand that, you're you're never going to get where you need to be. Until you understand that your heart is deceitful, that your heart is wicked. Until you understand that you're capable of anything. Then these desires that wage war in you against your flesh. Boy. You're going to continue to give in to them. Why? It's because of the second word. Not only desire on the trail to temptation, but deception. 
So James says this, you're, you're lured away by your own desire. You're enticed. And he uses two terms. One's a fishing term. One's a hunting term. The fishing term, that lure, what do we think about? What is lure? It's, it's bait. And there's different kinds of bait that's used to catch different kinds of fish. You know what happened during the last service as I was preaching this message? While I'm preaching, somebody started texting me all their pictures of the fish they had caught. And they said, you're right. Look at what I caught with my bait. A lot of you are fishermen or fisherwomen, and you love that. And you know that if you go out into the Gulf, you're going to use a certain kind of bait to catch certain kind of fish. If, if you come into fresh water, you're going to use a different kind of bait to catch a different kind of fish. And do you know that the enemy knows what kind of bait is necessary to get you on the hook? He deceives you. That's why I use that hunting term, too, to, to just let you know that there are traps out there. Just like a bear walking through a forest. You may not see it, but if you're not careful, you'll, you'll step into it, and, and it'll get you into trouble. So what do you do? You look for the hook. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhill.org. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.